Galatians chapter 1. See, you're laughing. I, I did it. I did it. All right, we're on to a good start. Galatians chapter 1. Thanks, honey. So, um, many of you might not know, but um, Fabiano and Anna had their baby Friday. Thursday morning, Thursday morning, lovely little boy. Um, so they're probably recouping, I imagine, and uh, it was quite an uh, intense uh, delivery, and so just be praying for them. Uh, we're going to be organizing some uh, meals. No, we're not. Sorry, excuse me. Turn open your Bibles to Galatians <laughs> chapter 1. So we offered, and she said no. <laughs> she said no. <laughs> We're off to a great start hey, this morning. Yeah, take notes. <laughs> take notes. Galatians chapter 1. I want to um, just start off by saying, you know, we've been in the Lent season. We've been talking a lot about the gospel, gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered living, and here's just another throw at that, um, and we're going to take the letter written to the Galatians by Paul, and essentially the cornerstone of this letter is this, no other gospel, there's no other gospel, there's a, there's a problem facing, and I know I hate to use that word problem in church, but there's a problem here in this particular church, and that problem is why Paul is writing this letter. Um, they're in the process of deserting and turning from the gospel. Um, the Galatians had, in fact, returned to ritualistic practices reminiscent of their old uh, pagan experiences. And Paul is writing this letter to them in hopes that it will prevent them from slipping into apostasy. And I can't help but realize uh, kind of that kind of Dilemma are the parallels today in the church where it seems like either we're adding to or taking away or just avoiding the honesty and the power of the gospel. You can pick up on the tone of Paul's concern. Listen, in verse 8, he says this. He says, if an angel... Just, just lock into this real quick. If an angel comes from heaven <laughs> preaching a different gospel other than the one that Paul has preached, let him be accursed. That's some tough language. I mean, we're not just talking about a human coming into the church preaching another gospel. We're talking about a divine being coming from heaven and preaching something different. And so, for me, that connects me immediately to the tone and the gravity and the weight of this situation going on within this church. I know that in many cases, there's some even here today that don't consider the word to be authoritative. Um, you might not even believe, ultimately, that the word was inspired by God, um, it's a real dynamic, it's a real dilemma, excuse me, in the church today. I've talked to many people where that is the case. They don't believe, you know, that this word, and I'm not just talking about prophetic revelation. I'm talking about the written word of God, which in itself is prophetic. 
You know, my wife was uh, telling me a story, and actually she preached this one time in the book of Acts. And this is for some of us, like, huge, like, staunch charismatics, of which I love. But in the book of Acts, the spirit breaks out, right? And Peter doesn't give himself to preaching a different message. He preaches Joel. And I don't know if on record or to as of date there has been a, a move of God's Spirit profound like that in the book of Acts. But how much more should we in experiencing the Holy Spirit not add nor take away to the gospel? I think the model that Peter sets up for us is something that we should adhere to as charismatic believers. There's no need. You know, we talked about last Sunday... Um, no, I'll, I'll abort, I'll abort that, that, I'll abort that. But the concept is, is most don't believe that the scriptures were actually inspired by God because it was given to or written by uh, uh, fallible people, people that were in error, people that just are like you and me, were prone to go astray. But you know what? Let's take a look at what the prophets, <laughs> uh, what the apostles, what the Messiah, Jesus himself, said about his word. And again, I'm not talking about prophetic revelation i'm talking about the written word of god look with me at isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 here's the prophet isaiah saying the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of god endures forever you know friend today prophecy will fail (laughs) miracles will cease But his word will last forever. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 35, said this. Heaven and earth will pass away. (laughs) But my words, Jesus' words, will not ever pass away. The apostle Peter in um, 1 Peter 1, verse 25, Peter says this. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. So now Peter links the words that will last forever to the good news, to the gospel. So this word is the good news that is being preached to you. Now, as far as God's word being inspired, look at 2 Timothy chapter, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 3, verse 16. This is Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and the training in righteousness. Now, when he uses the word breathe, it just means inspired. So, in essence, Paul is saying to Timothy, this word has been given to us. We have been inspired, not by our own being taught the word or receiving it, but God has given it to us in means of it being inspired by his word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this. For, I'm sorry for all the scriptures. It's all right. We're in church, right? It's all right to read the Bible. Just wondering. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Now again, when we look at the word prophecy, it's not 2017 little stereotypical prophecy 
you're going to get a house. You're going to be blessed, brother. I see you being healed. You know, we're talking about when Peter's talking about prophecy, he is talking about the word of God, meaning that this scripture is prophetic in nature. No, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, uh, man translates God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we have this glorious book. Let me say that again. Man translates God, sorry for spitting, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So regardless of where you lie on the spectrum, the real wrestle is not as if God's word is uh, inspired by God. It's as if you are looking at the scripture as being truth and having authority. Because according to scripture, there is no conflict. Everybody all right? I am a happy man. I have a loving wife, seven-year-old son. I just get passionate. I talk loud. I'm sorry. It's been in my family. You know, we've, we, we, we try to work things out by yelling at each other. So, <laughs> so all of God's word is inspired by God. According to the word, it will last forever. God's word is timeless. It's not restricted. Uh, it won't fail like the grass or die like the grass. It will never pass away. It's not like a kingdom that rises one day and then another day fails or falls. It's, it's relevancy and um, transformational power are forever impacting nations, governments, uh, cultures, societies, all the way to the big, you know, uh, we would say, you know, governments to just right down to the micro level, if I'm using that word correct, to like families. Just it, it's always impacting. In many cases, there's not. No, I won't say that. Thank you. She's she's agreeing with me. Yeah, you shouldn't say that, Daryl. You know, the, the important thing to keep in front of us as we navigate through um, adhering are looking at the word of God as powerful, like a two-edged sword, is that we need to develop that not necessarily the mindset that God's word is irrelevant, it's dated, it's, 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 um, it's not authoritative. We, we don't need to really wrestle that. What we really need to wrestle with is that we were never meant to change God's word. God's word was meant to change us. See, God is not the least bit concerned or moved about yours or my perspective about God's word being authoritative. He's not the absolute bit concerned over it. The question is, is how are we allowing the word, God's written word, to transform our life? You know, in Jesus, uh, his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17 Christ prays for our sanctification via the truth of God's word, right? Uh, we don't have time to turn there. So it's safe to say, and there's other scriptures that will point to this truth, it's safe to say that the word has the capability of purifying and transforming our lives. You know, look at the psalmist in, in, in 119 verse 9, Psalms 119 verse 9. He says this, how can a young man... Keep his way pure 
by girding it according to your word. You know, I can't help but think we've, we've kind of shelved this, this book in the charismatic church these days. Because we may have just, or we may think we've just arrived to a higher order or some kind of deeper prophetic revelation. You know what? All prophetic revelation for me stops here and begins here. I love this word. And I love the fact that I'm a charismatic. (laughs) But you know what? If being a charismatic causes me to abandon this truth, then I don't want to be a charismatic. So the word has power. Remember last Sunday we talked about how the gospel has the power to kind of set us up, you know, for living a life victorious, living a life with zeal and devotion. You know, many of us, I know because I meet with you, struggle with lethargy and complacency and just interest in God alone. And how we talked about last Sunday, how the gospel, it changes that for us. When we understand that we've been spared, (laughs) when we understand that we will live not separated from God for eternity, but reconciled to him, with him. Man, my heart, my heart bursts wide open with joy. The gospel is powerful, friends. There's no reason to abandon it. It hasn't become dated. It isn't irrelevant. You know, just because culture and even the culture of the church becomes more progressive, changing, and secular doesn't mean anything about the Word of God. So we adhere to it. We believe and we live within close proximity of the boundaries and borders that God's Word sets for us. You know, Jesus said this in John 15, 3 when he told his disciples that they have been made pure because of the word he spoke to them. Uh, You know, signifying the connection between sanctification and pruning, right? Because that's what John 15 was all about, pruning. Um, And so in other words, just by Jesus, we don't know how the mystery of it, how it all played out within the disciples' lives. Because honestly, if you look at the disciples, you know, they were a wreck just like you and me, you know? But, but Jesus makes this declaration, and we don't even know the mystery of what takes place and how that really flushed out in the long haul, long haul of actually their purification. But Jesus said it, listen, you've already been purified because my words. I wonder if Peter felt purified when he, when he, when he denied him to a little girl, you know. But, but yet Jesus says it. So we just adhere to it and believe that Jesus' words have a purifying effect on our souls, on our lives. Now, you can see this in Acts chapter 9, right? How many are familiar with the story of Paul and his conversion? You know, sometimes in the church you only hear about this big light that kind of appeared to Paul, you know? But Paul attests to the words that were spoken to him. Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way to Damascus, Sorry, I just butchered that. He's hot and heated. 
He's enthusiastically looking for any believers he can imprison and throw in jail. He's ready to persecute. And a bright light appears. And he attests with more clarity in Acts chapter 26 just that which was spoken to him. So he sees this bright light. He's not alone. He's got some dudes with him. They see the bright light. They hear the words. There's some conflict over that because actually Luke, uh, his story is a little bit different than uh, the, the story in Acts. Um, but nevertheless, he hears a voice. Um, Peter later, like I said in Acts chapter 26, gives his testimony to King Agrippa. How many are familiar with the story? Pleading his innocence, right? Paul tells the tribunal that he heard Jesus in Hebrew language. <laughs> Actually, uh, Paul goes into great detail of what he heard in Hebrew language. But he hears the words. He sees the visible light. But he hears Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? God's word has the power to transform us. doesn't need to be shelved. I want to encourage you, if you've shelved your Bible today, take it off. You know, for lack of better words, I'll pull a little IHOP. Eat the scroll. Does that mean that's a little lame, right, in 2017? But listen, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a cool way of thinking about it. Get that word inside of you. Don't abandon it. Don't try to create another gospel because you just sound foolish. Get it inside of us. You know, Paul's whole um, basis of being an apostle, because remember, Paul came into being an apostle much different than the rest, right? Anybody hear me? Right? Because, you know, the 12 or the 11, they walk with Jesus. 12 walk with Jesus. You know, they came, kind of came in by being his disciples. Paul gets this revelation. But Paul's whole ministry is based upon his encounter with a great light and the words of Jesus. <laughs> where, 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 where he has to per, persuasively argue the authenticity of his apostolic anointing many times in the New Testament. But his whole ministry, guys, think about this. The guy who gave us 33 books in the New Testament, who we adore, we love, we're so grateful for his wisdom, you know, he has to try to validate himself in his ministry to the church. Because just the way he came about, but the way he came about was seeing a great light and hearing words of Jesus in Hebrew language. And the Bible writes those words in this book that we have today. In Galatians 1, 11 through 12, Paul tells the Galatians that the gospel he preaches didn't come from man, nor was he taught it. but he received it through the revelation of Christ. We already touched upon just the nature of this being unorthodox, unorthodox in the church. But it's significant because Paul is such a credible figure in the Bible. Um, so, again, to rest upon the the thought and let our minds go there 
is that God's word is transformational. There are endless cases like Paul's case. You know, we're going to spend the next couple Sundays going over some of those cases where the gospel actually touched people's hearts and um, actually mingled like we did Friday night with the world. (sighs) Where we didn't call them to our little center, our little four-wall safety zone. But we went right into the streets and we loved them as Christ loved the world. It's John 3.16, right? You know, the one thing I, 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 you know, I stumbled across this week in preparing for the message is the whole kind of simplicity, yes, of Jesus' coming to earth where, where the Bible says he didn't come to condemn the world but love it, you know? And, you know, I didn't see, you know, this... Or maybe all that I wanted to see Friday night. But you know what I saw? I saw people being loved. <laughs> Man, I saw, I saw Christians mingling with unbelievers. People who are drunk and swearing and profane about God. And what's just loving well. They were like, what's your cause? We don't have a cause. We're just loving. We just want to love. We want to fill your bellies. Some warm cocoa. And that cocoa was off the hook those donuts I couldn't have when I tried but they were gone man but we got to be the visible expression of Jesus to the world to the the gospel and we're going to look at times where this gospel transformed lives of people and one of them is in the story of Nicodemus are you familiar there's an awkward conversation that transpires right Jesus is this you know, Hebrew rock star who's got thousands following him, right? You know, he's kind of a rebel. He's kind of Luke Skywalker. You know, he's ready to take out Darth and, you know, all the weirdos down there, the empire. He's against the man. Jesus is against the man. Come on. Come on, don't be ashamed about being active towards social injustice. Jesus was. Mainly, Jesus was crucified because of that. He had a big mouth. (laughs) Turning over tables, you know. I know we all have a nice little picture of Jesus with a lamb over his shoulders, you know. That guy was a rebel. Don't get me wrong, man. He was... I think Luke Skywalker was a baller, man. Jesus was a baller. And here he is talking to Nicodemus, a man of the cloth. (laughs) An astute intellect. A man of the Sanhedrin, you know, a leader. A prolific presence, a, a, uh, a respected man. You know? People saw Nicodemus like, oh, there's Nicodemus, that great teacher. man. He is a smart man. We all just revel at his brilliance, you know. Jesus gets drug away. And it's it's interesting. Don't misplace that he was kind of drawn in the midnight hours to this, like, undisclosed area to have a meeting with Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with Jesus. I don't want to be seen. Like, well, this guy is causing trouble. In this conversation, I don't know, there's... 
There's so many takes and spins. You can learn so much from this story and this encounter. But one thing that I took away is the way the conversation went. You know, Nicodemus simply starts off by saying, you know, Jesus, we know. He uses the word we. He doesn't say I. So that kind of indicates that probably other Pharisees and religious leaders within the Sanhedrin were talking about Jesus. He says, listen, Jesus, we know. We, we know you're from God. We know you're from God. I mean, how else could you be doing these things? Like, how else could you be performing these miracles? We know it, we know it, we know it. And Jesus, he doesn't, you know, if that was me, if somebody that was kind of like pinning me up against a quarter and saying, man, what's going on in your ministry, you heretics? You know, you guys out there evangelizing, huh? You healing the sick, raising the dead? You know? And we had kind of a reputation of which we do, and somebody started praising me about that reputation. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Top is pretty cool, man. I like it. J-Hop, yeah, we pray. I'd be all like, yeah, I'd be putting my card out. I'd be like, I don't have a card, but if I did, I'd place it right there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about time you boys over there got the point. About time you boys be recognizing. That's what, that's what, I know I'm alone in that. I know none of you would do that. I know none of you would do that. I mean, it's far too holy. That's what I'd be doing. What does Jesus do? He immediately starts preaching the gospel to Nicodemus. Like, this actually may work. Like, maybe one day we won't need donuts and cocoa. But see, you get what I'm saying? Now, I love the donuts and cocoa. Don't get me wrong. It's a great on-ramp and tool. I love it. Uh, But here's Jesus talking to a pretty respectable homie. I mean, Nicodemus is rolling deep in the Sanhedrin, Okay. Like, he is a baller, okay? Like, he's got a nice, you know, he's respected. He's a man of the cloth. He's a community man. And Jesus just says something so awkward. Where he says, uh, unless you've been born of the Spirit, nobody will see the kingdom of God. Unless they've been born of the Spirit. You know, interestingly enough, I found out in... in, in um, let me find it in my notes because I want to make sure that I get it. Interestingly enough, um, Jesus says and he introduces the gospel fully knowing that Jews had an understanding that just because they were Jews meant that they were born automatically into the kingdom of heaven. Are you hearing me? So not only is Jesus saying something totally off the charts, he's saying something totally offensive to a Jewish teacher who is knowledgeable about the Old Testament. So they already had the preconceived idea that just being born a Jew in and of itself means that they automatically inherit the kingdom of God. And then they also had the mindset that... um, Jews uh, believed that uh, Gentiles were born lost. Um, you know, all through the New Testament, um, Paul and other, others in the, in, in the apostolic, you know, ministry um, argued persuasively and forcefully to try to convince them that salvation is for all. But Jesus uses this as his not, yeah, we're doing some great stuff, me and my 12 boys. It's about time you guys get it and see it, recognize it, and bless it. 
he starts preaching this gospel to Nicodemus. And not only is he um, doing it um, in a way that seems kind of off color to the conversation, he's saying something very offensive to Nicodemus, I'm sure. What I love about this story is that no matter how Nicodemus gets confused, you know, he's Jesus talking about being born again. Nicodemus is like, well, how can an old man be born again? Should I crawl back in the womb of my mother? I mean, that's awkward. I don't know about you, but the image goes through my mind. Okay, let's just get rid of it, Jesus. <laughs> it didn't really. I just shock value. No, um. But he gets, he's like, how does this happen? I mean, and there's some scholars that say, hey, this was, this was genuine. Oh, this was sincere. No matter what, the conversation went like how it ended. We see that the gospel touched Nicodemus' life. You know that G- Nicodemus, I'm sure some of you know, he was the one who provided um, the oils or the ointments to embalm Jesus' body after his death because nobody would do it. And, and there's many people who believe the amount of money that he spent in embalming Jesus, it, it, it's comparatively to if a king died in that day. Wow. So we're talking about an, an extraordinary amount of money. Um, Nicodemus also, uh, in the Sanhedrin, argued Jesus' innocence to the religious leaders as they were plotting to take Jesus out. So that although we don't see it in this story, we see it down the road in Scripture that Nicodemus' life was very much touched by the gospel. The gospel has transformational power. We don't need to add to it. In the name of prophetic revelation... Now, get it, I'm, a prof- I, I'm not a, much of a prophetic guy, but I do like prophecy. You know, I, I desire it. You know, I, I'm not a hater today. But um, like I said, prophecy for me starts and ends right here. If somebody starts giving me words that don't line up here, you, you've just closed my heart down. I, I'm, I could care less what you're saying. It's going, out, going in one ear, out the other. And that's my hopes for our church. I hope that our church is a charismatic church. I do. I really believe. I want our church to be deeply grounded. Have our feet right in the midst of desiring prophecy. Speaking in tongues. Looking to God for revelation. I, I want all that. But I also want our church to be a church that so loves this word. I'm sorry if that offends you. But I, I want to be utterly crazy for Jesus and do bold, stupid things. I want to so absorb this word. I want to so eat this scroll, line upon line, precept upon precept. I am not interested as a charismatic church abandoning this word. I'm not at all or will ever start to create something new. So I can maybe pull on your strings and 
just have you be a little bit more interested in what we're doing. I'm going to eat this thing. And you know what? As a pastor, I'm going to eat it and I'm going to play it out the way it's been given. I'm not going to add to it. You know, Jesus said, this is the Jesus of Revelation. He said, man, you're in bad shape if you're adding to this thing or taking it away from it. You're in a bad place. And those words are in red. <laughs> I know, I know. Just got this cute image of Jesus, right? Oh, he's so, just, so, so tolerant. <laughs> so tolerant. He's just so easy just to go with the flow. Friend, Jesus doesn't go with the flow. He's in a flow of his own. He doesn't need your approval. He's not bound today in heaven saying, oh, my God. If people would just pray and people would just prophesy, he's not, he's not in restraints today, friends. He's not. He's free. He's able to do whatever, whenever, however he wants. And that's the church I want to be. I want us to be fully in faith for um, miracles and signs and wonders and extraordinary things. Because that, you know what? That's something else that we see here. But I also want us to be a church that so reveres and has an admiration for this word. And we don't abandon it. We don't try to create something new because we're charismatics. In the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus never diverts. He never um, tries to change his tone. Actually, his tone gets a little bit more confusing if you read the text. It's like, what? But he doesn't change things. He just simply, in the midst of confusion and maybe sarcasm with Nicodemus, he just simply presents the gospel. And um, the gospel has a profound effect on Nicodemus later in Scripture. Um, we're going to do something. Uh, I'm just going to segue here. Will, if you'd come up. We've been trying to... Um, we've been trying to take communion every Sunday while we're in uh, Lent, Lent. Excuse me. And I want to hold to that. So we've prepared communion. But I also want to pray for people that feel like you're abandoning the gospel. Maybe there's um, a lack of interest in this word, you know. Maybe there's just maybe there's a, there, maybe there's a place where um, I don't know. You're just disinterested. It no longer has the effects on your heart as it used to. Um, and and you know you know that you're just you're not interested. You're just shelving it, shelving it. It's collecting dust. I want to pray for you because I think that there are tremendous things. Um, that we still have yet to hold, uh, 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 lay hold of. There are tremendous truths of which are transformational for our lives. And um, I just want to pray for some of those who feel that today, that there would be a new love and admiration for the Scripture. Can we do that? In means of taking communion. I'm going to ask, actually, before we do that, Matt, Mateos, maybe have the ushers bring out one table and bring over the other. Um, just before Matthew shares, just so you know, when he takes, when we take in communion, um, we're going to have this row kind of one at a time from the front down, and then the second down, just come dip. 
and then Matt will lead us in taking it, and that will be the close of our service. I'll be right over here to the right. I would love to pray with you. If, if, if anything resonated um, with your heads uh, and your hearts this morning, I'll be over here, and I want to pray for you and connect with you. Also, if you're here for the first time, um, we would love to connect with you over at the, um, the info table, give you a little bit more information about ourselves, and just ultimately get to know you. As church, sometimes people can fall through the cracks. We desire that not to happen. Matthew Harland, will you guys just open your uh, hearts to him? Uh, he takes communion. Amen. You know, this uh, communion that we're doing in this Lent season represents the greatest expression of love that God poured out for us at the cross. You know, it says whenever Jesus was walking the earth, his body was healthy. But as he pursued the cross, it was scourged by Roman soldiers. It was beaten and afflicted before the crucifixion and at the crucifixion. And that whenever he took on that shame and he took on that guilt and he took on our transgressions, that he actually did it with you in mind, that it was a, it was a payment for us that we might walk in a new bloodline with him that we're no longer tied to the sins of our forefather, Adam, but they were actually into a new blood covenant with Jesus. You know, it's at that cross, it's at that cross where God took sickness and he took our disease and he took our shame and he said, I'm gonna put this on my son for a broken people. He says, I'm gonna move heaven and earth that I would come and reconcile a broken people back to me and I'm gonna use my son who's blameless to be a payment for their sin. And Isaiah 53 talks about this body in verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And in Luke 22, it says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, the cup represents a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That there's actually a covenant that God has made by dying on the cross for us. There's a covenant that Jesus has allowed us to enter into by giving up his life, that we can have new blood running through our veins this morning. And if you are in Christ this morning, if you have accepted Christ, if you are under his lordship, if he is your Lord and Savior, you have that new blood running through you this morning. And I want to remind you that we're not just doing communion as a ritual, but this is actually worship unto God. This is saying, Lord, we are remembering that sacrifice that you gave for us. We are reminding ourselves today that if, if our minds lie to us, if our bodies lie to us, we are taking this communion as a remembrance that, Lord, you gave us new blood on that day when you died on the cross. And so when we take communion all of us need to consider that sacrifice this morning. This isn't something we do mindlessly as a ritual in church, but we're actually saying, Lord, we remember the sacrifice, God, that you have made us new within you, that in Christ we are new creations. And God, we thank you for that. You know, in his loving instruction that he gave to the disciples as they partook in the Holy Communion, Jesus wanted us to be conscious of his holy body how the body was broken for our wholeness and his blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins. And whenever we partake in the consciousness, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. As it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. it says, for whenever you eat 
this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to remind you that taking this communion this morning is not what saves you. That taking this communion in the morning is not what washes over your sins. But what actually does is receiving the Lord as your, as your personal Lord and Savior. Is actually accepting what Jesus did on the cross and saying, Lord, I am in agreement today with your sacrifice for me. I'm in agreement today that you didn't just die for the sins of the world, but you died for my sins. And now I have new blood running through my body. And so I want us just to take pause this morning before we take communion. This isn't something that we just simply are looking to do every Sunday just to do it. But we're actually in this Lent season want to focus intently on the goodness of God. We want to focus intently that he was perfect and yet gave that, gave that perfection up in the heavens to come down to live an earthly life with us, to die that we might be adopted back into his family. And so I just want to give you a couple of seconds. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and consider this sacrifice this morning. Consider if there is offense in your heart to your brother, if there is a a misrepresented view in your mind of who Christ is, let's take this time to deal with it before we take communion before the Lord. God, that we're not just eating bread and drinking grape juice, Lord, but we're actually partaking of your body as your disciples did, God, at the Last Supper. God, that this bread on this table represents your body that was ripped and torn for our transgressions. God, this blood represents, this cup of juice represents your blood, God, that was poured out for us. The blood that was given, that gives us new life that has paid for our sins, God, that has paid for our transgressions. And Lord, we thank you for that this morning. And so, Lord, as we partake in your body, as we partake in your blood, God, I ask, Lord, that we remember the sacrifice, that we remember the power that was exhibited, God, at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to partake in these elements with me. We're going to go row by row. So we'll start here with the first row, and then we'll go to the second, and we'll go to the third. The Father's love 
The sun. 